What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Founders Journal. I'm Alex Lieberman, co-founder and executive chairman of Morning Brew. Today, I'm interviewing Jason Fried, who is a legendary entrepreneur. Jason is the co-founder and CEO of 37 Signals, which is a software development company that has created popular products like Basecamp, Hey, and others. 37 Signals is completely bootstrapped. It's been in business since 1999. It has more than 100,000 customers, and it does tens of millions of dollars in profit per year. In addition to listening to this podcast, I highly recommend you follow Jason on Twitter, check out his blog posts, which I'll link to in the show notes, and read his books, Getting Real, Rework, and Remote. On this episode of Founders Journal, I'll pick some of my favorite freed musings from over the years to discuss with him. These range from how to build good culture to what good leadership looks like, having the right mindset for business adversity, and much more. I have no doubt you'll leave this conversation inspired by Jason and with actionable insights you can bring to your own company. So let's hop into it. Jason Freed, welcome back to Founders Journal. Hey, Alex, how are you? I am good. I am very good. And I am excited for this conversation because I basically spent an hour before this interview uh, just reading the internet, specifically in your little corner of the world where you've been creating content for a very long time. And what I basically did is I pulled what I found to be, let's call it the top 25 to 30 most interesting things, most interesting, contrarian, weird, uh, nuanced things that you've said. And I just want to read them to you and then get your reaction or have you expand on them. Sound good? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Let's start from the top. So actually, this is from the um, employee handbook that mm-hmm. you uh, have on 37signals website. We'll actually link to it in the show notes because I think it's really valuable for people as they build companies. And I think the second tab in the handbook is um, you talk about influences and the things that have influenced your way of building and running your business. And the first thing that stood out to me was this quote by David Marquette, who I was not familiar with before reading the influence. And the quote goes, leadership should mean giving control rather than taking control and creating leaders rather than forging followers. Explain to me why that quote resonates with you, why it's important enough to include on your employee handbook. Yeah, uh, this, that's from um, Turn the Ship Around, uh, yep. a really great book, which I highly recommend. Um, I would say I used to be I used to be too involved in every decision. And when you're that involved in every decision, and this, by the way, is very common for founders, right? You're like, this is my baby, this is my thing, I want it done this way. What you end up doing is you just create a bunch of people who are waiting to hear what you have to say about something. They're not thinking for themselves. So what David's saying in that that quote is, um, is you, you want, if you have 50 people working for you, you want 50 brains working for you, 50 minds working for you. You don't want one mind and 50 hands, right? Or 100 hands in that case. You know, you don't want to just tell the hands what to do. You want people yeah. to think for themselves. And so his idea of giving control is like you, you, you point as a leader, you point people in a direction. You sort of give them a, a reason and a story in a sense. Like here's why we're doing what we're doing. Here's why this is important. But then you, you hand off. You've got to hand it off. And now you've got 50 minds working which is a much better thing than one or two. So that's what that quote means to me. And I've, I really took that uh, to heart after reading that book and sort of let go a bit of my you know, micromanagement, uh, detail-oriented sort of thing. And I've become a lot 
I'd say, blurrier in terms of my detail management. There's certain things I think that are really important that need to be done right in a certain way, but other things I've just kind of let happen. And then you give people the experience and the chance to make their own decisions and see how they work and see, and then, then they learn and you end up with a better organization that way. Yeah, I love this concept of building an organization in a way that um, empowers and almost like forces people to be uncomfortable with thinking for themselves versus being order takers. Yeah, I mean, just to be even more specific, um, we talked about this in a different podcast, but our six-week cycle process is very much like this. We kind of, you know, orient people in a certain direction around an idea and go, here, you figure it out. You make the decisions about what work needs to happen. And, and you make the decisions about if we're not going to make this happen in a certain period of time, what gets cut? Let's talk about this. Make a pitch. Tell me why we think we should cut this or substitute this or tweak this. You think. I want you thinking the whole time. I don't want you just doing. You should be thinking. Yep. And that's that's the idea behind that. I love that. And I also think not only is it good for your company, but it's also one of the best like investments and skills you can cre- in, build in people in your company. I like, I actually think it's one of the best things to give as a gift to someone to ultimately put them in a place to maybe one day start a company if they want to build their own company. Absolutely. We've had a number of people who've left over the years and started their own thing and have done quite well. I think that experience is helpful for them. It's also just, it's not healthy for an organization to be waiting around on someone else to make calls. Yeah, you're just the, the bottleneck. Yeah, you're the bottleneck. Yeah. Okay. Two more that I want to uh, quickly go through from the influences uh, page of your employee handbook. The uh, first one is from the manual, which I've never read, but the quote is, do not wish that all things will go well with you, but that you will go well with all things. I love that quote, but I want to understand why you love it. Great book, by the way. That's probably one of the most profound books I've ever read. It's like 60 pages. You can read it in like 40 minutes. It's lovely. It's it's beautiful. So um, this is about going with the grain, essentially. Um, and, you know, some people might say that we are, we go against the grain in, in a way, but we, we, I don't think we do. I actually think we, we go very much with it, which is like a business works best when it makes more money than it spends. Um, this is sort of a weird way to explain this quote in a sense, but we're going with the grain on that. Like let's, let's stay, like staying in business is the point, right? Well, the best way to stay in business is to be profitable and to be, to build a sustainable business and not get ahead of yourselves and put yourselves in a bad spot. Um, but in general, it's more like, you know, look, things aren't always going to go your way. That's the biggest idea here. Things are not always going to go your way. It could be personal. It could be business. It could be people on the internet yelling at you about something, not liking what you've done, whatever it might be. And, you know, if you're going to let all of those things just bite into you and you're going to fight back against all of them, you're going to have a really hard time. So you just got to find a way to be like, you know what? Yeah. Okay cool, whatever, and just roll with it. It's about rolling with it and being comfortable rolling with it. There's another quote in this book that talks about understanding the nature of things is a very important thing. So in the example is if you go to a public pool and you're upset because there's kids screaming and uh, maybe something got stolen out of your bag uh, and you got splashed, like that's your problem. Like you, if you if you expect to go to a public pool and <laughs> not hear people screaming <laughs> and not maybe have something taken from your bag and not get splashed, then, then you're, you're, you're going the wrong way. You need to roll with this. You need to understand the nature of things. And that's what that quote's also about, getting really comfortable with the nature of things, what they actually are, and rolling with them and gliding with them versus grinding with them. That's what that's about. Yeah, I love that. I feel like a great analogy my therapist gave me one time was this idea of when you're in the ocean um, and you're kind of standing in the water and a big wave is coming, rather than just standing there and 
freaking taking it to the face. Like, what does it look like to swim under the wave? And you feel this, like, you feel like being, like you're pulled by the water a little bit, but like you're, you're kind of moving in concert with the ocean versus fighting against it. And I actually think, um, the quote that I just shared from the manual that you've spoken about, like, I think actually also what's so powerful here is it's a quote about control in my, in my mind. Mm -hmm. Like we, there People love to feel control of things, and especially entrepreneurs love to feel mm -hmm. control of so many things. And then as you build businesses and you keep building them over time, you realize there's so little that is actually in your control. But one of the things you can control is the capacity by which you react to the things or don't react to the things that you can't control. That, so that's the deeper thing. So this is a stoic philosophy, and it's basically, um, yeah, what, what's in your control and what isn't. A good example, like, you know, I was at the airport yesterday, something's late, people are screaming and yelling at the gate agent. And that is trying to trying to do something with the world that you can't. You can't do, yep. you cannot make the plane come on time or whatever it is, right? So so you can get upset and you can get, you can get screamy, you can get frustrated and you might have a good right to be because you need to be somewhere, I get it all. But the better way ultimately to be, go, yeah, that's just, that's the nature of planes and that's the nature of the airport. And okay, I will wait for the plane. I'll read a book or I'll do whatever else I can do. That's, um, that's, that's the right approach. Ultimately, if you want to live a, a life that is not full of rage and contempt yep. for the way things are, like the way things just are, and you can roll with them or you can roll against them. And sometimes there's some things, some battles you might want to pick obviously, but most of them, you should just be like, ah, I can roll with this. I can be okay with this. Yeah. And I actually think it's a more empowering way of being because it gets you focused on the things that you actually have kind of the ability to shape versus this, uh, kind of an incorrect story of trying to shape things that you don't have the ability to shape, which is Spot really on. interesting. Yes. Yes. Uh, um, one, okay. One last quote here, and then we're going to get to some of my favorite Jason Fried tweets mm -hmm. is, um, you refer to this article about Roger Smith. Uh, the watchmaker, who I was also not familiar with. And the quote is, I love that notion. It's one that I've tried to hold dear myself. Don't be influenced too much. Be aware of what's great, but don't get other people's work too deep in your head or you'll be doing their work, not yours. That kind of influence isn't really an influence. It's a trap. Tell me kind of what this means and why it's important to you. Right, so Roger Smith is a watchmaker who lives on the Isle of Man in, in in the UK, which is way isolated, period, but especially isolated from the Swiss watch industry, which is the which is like the hub yep. of the watch industry, um, and um, he's aware of what's going on, you know. But 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 the fact that he's so isolated is a good thing because he's not directly influenced too much by the heart of it, by by what's going on in Switzerland. Um, and if he was, he would make different kinds of watches because you, you can't avoid having some of that rub off on you and the judgment and the whole thing. So he's kind of doing his own thing in his own place. And I've seen, like, that's what we've done. So we used to be based in Chicago. We're fully remote now, but um, we were not, we were never a Silicon Valley company. Um, it was easier for us to reject VC money because we didn't live in that world. We lived in the Midwest and that's not how people do things over there, you know? And we also didn't go to the parties and didn't go to the events and didn't like get influenced by that whole world. And, and then, you know, you, you, you try to do your own thing, but at some point you, people give into peer pressure or they're influenced in ways that they can't control. So by staying away from that world, we're able to do things our own way. It was helpful for us 
to stay away from that world so we can do things our own way and not pay too much attention. In the same way, I don't pay much attention to the competition. I don't even really like that word, frankly, competition. I prefer alternative, like they're an alternative, we're an alternative. Um, and one of the reasons why I don't go looking at other people's work is because once I have their work in my head, it's hard to have original ideas. Yeah. Um, I actually prefer the newbie approach. Like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Uh, I think people who, who go into something not knowing anything about it tend to make more interesting things because they're not like, this is how it has to be done. This is how it's been done before. These are the limitations. And they might make some of the same mistakes other people have made and they would have made it had they known. But I still think it's better to approach things with a beginner's mind um, and in a non-influenced mind. So for example, when I'm looking for inspiration, I'll look at architecture. That's not something I make, but I love architecture. I'll look at furniture. I'll look at nature. If I'm looking for colors, I'll, I'll look outside and go like, well, nature never me messes up. Like I've never looked at anything <laughs> outside and gone, that those colors clash. It's always beautiful, always. So like, what is it? Well, these greens and these yellows and these browns and these lines and these shapes, this all works together. Like. I'd rather look at that than like some app in the app store that's well-designed. I mean, what's well-designed is that tree out there. You know, evolution has designed this beautiful thing that totally. works and it's the best possible version that's ever been right now. Like that is the model. So I'd rather look at those kinds of things outside my own industry. So it's not don't be influenced. You know, it's be influenced by things outside of your own industry that you can bring in from a different perspective versus the inevitable um, uh, trap of following other people's work, especially when someone's ahead of you. You're like, wow, they're the leaders in the field. If I do more stuff like them, I will be like them. Like you see people doing this with Apple all the time. They're constantly trying to make everything like Apple-esque. It's like Apple's really, really damn good at being Apple. Apple, by the way, doesn't follow anyone else. That's the lesson I would take. <laughs> Not like make your stuff look more like Apple. It's yeah. How did Apple come up with their own point of view and their own style and their own vision? That's the insight. Um, so anyway, so that's I, where I go with that. I totally agree with that. Like I think, again, even as I reflect on our journey with Morning Well, Group, media, like, media is a great example, right? Media is yeah. just like, it seems like it's all the same. It just exactly. seems like it's all the same, yeah. And I think the only reason we were able to able to build our business is because my co-founder and I were two college students, had never worked a day in media, didn't know anything about media. We were finance people. But, and so yes. we just created something that was valuable to us based on the tools and skills we had. And so like I am fully subscribed to this idea of like a beginner's mindset is not only great, I think it is necessary because the second you get influence from how people are already doing things, I think it's actually quite impossible to just rid it out of your head. It becomes part of your working model. I do think one of the costs, and you referred to this, and it sounds like you're just okay with the trade-off, is oftentimes influence is uh, provides helpful shortcut when you know what worked in a company or didn't work or what mistakes they made. It's a shortcut for you to not make that mistake. And it sounds like your view is kind of like, you're okay with the cost of that to not deal with the downside of it. I guess one other option is like, you hire really good people that have some of these lessons from working at other companies, but they are not the driver necessarily of the product or the vision for the company. Yeah, uh, that's that's how I would approach it. I think the other thing though is, is to think about, we all like to think we know why something didn't go right. And you know, you're like, well, this company really blew it because X, Y, and Z. Eh, it could have been yeah. A, B, and C. You don't really know, and they might not even know. But we tell ourselves stories. This is what we do in life. Yep. We tell ourselves all sorts of stories. 
And you're absolutely right that there are might be some lessons and some and some pitfalls you can avoid had you known that this has gone wrong 18 times in a row, you know? But I think the trade-offs are worth it to still maybe try it yeah. again. And and timing can be different and the approach can be different and maybe your cost structure is different. Uh, and maybe maybe the technology is different. Maybe the market has changed. Who knows? And maybe none of those things are true. But um, I, oh, it's funny. My, my fifth grade science teacher, I remember this. He 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 told us once. He goes, never dismiss a good idea because of poor execution. And five people could have gotten it wrong in a row. It doesn't mean it's bad. They just may have yeah. gotten it wrong. Anyway, yes, there are trade-offs. There's no question about it. And uh, but you know, it's that's what it is. It's all trade-offs. Like we think in terms of trade-offs. There is no perfect outcome. There's yeah. like, what are you giving up? Well, maybe I wouldn't have made this mistake had I looked at someone else's track record. But I'm okay with that because I think the ups the upside's bigger. It's more upside. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I also think. I mean, it sounds like you also talk a lot from a place of like energy and what's fun and what feels right and to me I, i'm similar and i would i would also just say that like to me it feels more fun to create new shit yeah. and so it's like what what puts me in the context to have fun building new shit is not knowing what is the shit that's already out there yeah 100 percent. like you got to enjoy this stuff and i just think there's a it's an intangible there's this energy that gets injected into things that you make when you're excited to make those things yep if you 100%. know that like, well, if you do it this way, it's going to be successful because A, B, and C did it, but you're like, I don't really want to do it that way. It's going to reflect and it's going to show somewhere in the product that like someone didn't really care about this thing. Totally. So I'd rather put something out that's unique and original and interesting, unusual. If we enjoy the thing that we're making, if we think it's good and we think it's interesting and we do that with our products, Hey is super weird when it comes to email, Hey.com. It's just an unusual way to use email. Um, but it resonates with tens of thousands of people who are paying for it. You know, email's free. So like, we're not gonna have millions of customers, but we could have tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands yeah. at some point, perhaps. And like, that's plenty for us. That's plenty totally. for us. It wouldn't be good for Google. If you're Google and you launch an email thing, a paid email thing, and you only get 50,000 people signing up, it's an abject failure because your economics are different. Ours are, if we get 50,000 people paying, it's a damn good business. So- totally you know, everything's different. And just because it didn't work for someone else, they're them. You're you. Go for it. Okay. We're going to go through a few tweets now. Uh, okay. The first one is, and you've also written um, a blog post about this also. Uh, this was from March 3rd of 2021. Can you guess what the tweet was? Mm, March 3rd. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> it was, uh, <laughs> company culture is not written down. It's acted out. A company's culture is a 50-day moving average of how it is, not how it thinks it is, wants to be, or was supposed to be. Explain what you mean. Well, I would say traditionally, people say like, how do you build a culture? You know, is it, is it a series of principles and do you write this thing down or whatever it might be? And then, you know, do we revisit these things often or whatever? I, my sense is that culture just simply is. It, it is what the company is. It is what the company does. It is how we treat each other. It's how we treat our customers. It's how we speak publicly. It's how we build products. It doesn't matter what we wrote down. Re, re, the, the words on the paper can't do the work. Uh, they don't do anything. Um, it's it's what we do that defines the reality. So the 50-day moving average idea it came from finance, obviously. Um, and maybe you can make it 75. People are always like, why 50? It's like, I, it doesn't matter. It could be 90. It doesn't matter. The point is, is that it's recent history 
and it can get better, which is good. Like if your culture seems shitty, like, well, you know, it's got some momentum, but you can get make it better and you can also make it worse. That's what I was gonna so say, just as valuable with this analogy is that it can be made worse if you get comfortable with a, an, uh, uh, a set of behaviors not that's not aligned with the culture you want. That's right. And, and so it goes in both directions, but uh, and it's mostly recent history. And, um, you know, I think cultures, my point is that cultures fluctuate. Like for example, right now, we're about to, we're trying to ship two products, two new things by, you know, within the next 30 to 45 days. We are typically a very calm company. We work 40 hour weeks, it's pretty chill. Right now, not so chill, to be honest. Um, we're trying to like cram some stuff in to get it done. We got holidays coming up. We made a promise. Uh, our culture of calm is has, has decreased right now. Like mm -hmm. we, are, we fluctuated down, you know? And we need to make that up after the first of the year, you know, to get back into our natural rhythm. So it doesn't matter if we wrote down that we work 40 hour weeks. Right now we're not, we're working a little bit longer. And some people are putting in some extra time. So what's on the paper doesn't matter. What matters is what's totally. happening. That's the idea. That's the idea of culture, in my opinion. I love that. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Next one is from February 27th, 2020. So this was... Wow, right before the pandemic. Giving out equity in startups benefits ownership way more than employees. It allows the owner to push employees harder and harder because, quote, you've got skin in the game now, you're an owner, end quote. No, you aren't. Owning less than 1% of anything isn't ownership. I just think this is such a interesting and, you know, some would say contrarian idea because people think about like, oh, I go to work at a startup, which I know you have thoughts on that phrase also. Mm -hmm. I go to work at a startup because this is a potential lottery ticket for me to be very wealthy down the road. And kind of this idea is very different from that kind of existing way of thinking. It can happen. I mean, it's happened, obviously. Uh, certain companies have, have minted you know, hundreds or thousands of millionaires and, and whatever. But as we've seen over the past, well, the market's kind of flying again right now. But as we saw over the past year or so, or a year and a half, uh, a lot of these tech companies were way off their highs, 75% off, 90% off. So it's a matter of timing, things you can't control. You don't know what the market's going to say. And there's all sorts of dilution. And, you know, people, uh, employees don't get much in the end uh, when it comes to equity, unless there's a massive, massive home run and you are really, really early. Yep. Again, these are like just rounding errors. I mean, it almost never happens. So it does happen, but almost never happens, all things considered. What we do instead is we we share profits. So we have a profit share plan. We have a 10% profit share plan. So we hold aside 10% of our annual profits and distribute them to our employees as real money, not equity, not options, not, not based crypto. on where the fluctuations of the market is, but like cash you can spend tomorrow on a mortgage or whatever, right? And we, we distribute it based on seniority. You get a certain number of units every month you work after a certain period of years and the whole thing. And since we've been a profitable business for a long time, we generate tens of millions currently in annual profits. It's a very lucrative program. And um, it's, it's real cash 
And there's no strings attached and there's no surprises. In t- I mean, there's surprises in terms of we don't know how profitable we're going to be till the end of the year, but there's no public market surprises. Like a war in the Middle East is not going to affect your profits like it might in the stock market if everyone gets nervous and the stocks plunge or whatever it might yep. be. Or, or, or who knows, right? Who knows what can happen? A million things. The election, all the things. That's how we approach it. And I think that that's more fair. Of course, you need to be profitable to be able to pull that off. But I think it's more fair. Um, and I think it's more realistic. And it's not about a lottery ticket. It's it's about real cash. Uh, now, it might not be millions of dollars for people, but you know it's real money that you can put in your pocket uh, on December 31st. Yeah. And um, uh, again, no guarantees on any of these things. Anything can happen, but but there's a you know there's a history and there's there's a there's a payout history. So anyway, that's our approach to it. Um, I think that um, the other thing is a lot of people give up a lot in in equity. So they 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 take lower salaries, um, yep. they put in extra hours, they do all the things because they think it's going to be worth something in the end, and it could be, but it's often not worth what you thought it was going to be. And I think that's disappointing. Yeah. Totally. I'm also, I'm I'm honestly, I was actually talking yesterday to uh, Sahil uh, from Gumroad. And this year they're going to do 60% profit share with employees and shareholders. And we were just talking about how it's like, it's interesting slash surprising that more businesses don't operate in this way. And I think it very much is a cultural thing where just like, you know, when kind of the path that is talked about is a venture path, it doesn't make sense for a venture backed business to distribute profits, but also probably doesn't make sense for every venture backed business that is a venture backed business to be a venture backed business. That's true. And also like, for example, at a, at a corporate level, like we're an LLC. So yep. all of the profits are distributed to the members uh, at the end of the year. And we basically started zero again, and then we we you know we go. So um, you know uh, it, it's 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 similar in that respect that we're distributing profits. We're not putting money back in into the business. And I think this is an important point actually. If I could go on for one second on this, yeah, probably more than a second. But taking cash out of a business, I think, is a really healthy thing. Um, in our industry, it seems like people are always p- pouring money back into the business. You know, shit can hit the fan at any time, and a lot of businesses that were worth something aren't worth anything a year later. And if you keep pouring it all in and never taking anything out and putting it in your pocket or putting it in the bank and, and you know, you're, you're, you're just adding more and more and more risk every year. I, I'm a believer in taking risk off the table and, 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 and being paid for the work that you do and understanding that the future is very uncertain and the best outcome is probably not the one that's going to happen. Yep. And, um, you know, you don't want to work 12 years and keep pouring money in and then find out that at the end of the 12 years, like you could have made a few million bucks had you taken some money out, but instead now you're left with zero because the company went out of business for a million other reasons that, that were totally. totally out of your control or in your control. So taking money out is a good thing. Distributions are a good thing. Uh, yeah. Profit share is a good thing. This is, this is, I think, what businesses should be doing more of. Yeah, and I think it's a really important point that you make, especially because I think it's, um, for whatever reason, it's considered to be a shameful thing. Like, I'm not sure why, but it's considered shameful or it's considered irresponsible if you want to grow a company really fast. But I think yeah. to your point, like, um, you also have to understand actually the level of compounding risk that you're taking on every year that you're doing it because sometimes I think it feels invisible or less tangible, but it is quite literally risk that is turning into a larger large, and larger pile every year. Yes. Well, I think part of that is because people look at things like valuation, which is a, yep. a made-up number, kind of. It's like, wow, we're worth $250 million or a billion, whatever it is. Like, right now you are. Uh, yep. Who knows what that might look like when you're done? And by the way, you may you may have to dilute yourself way more than you think to get there ultimately, and then you're left with a lot less than you thought. And hey, maybe you will come out ahead. Many founders do. Many is yep. maybe the wrong. Plenty of them do, I would say. Um, 
enough of them do. I don't know what the right word is actually, but but um, I just think it's more responsible ultimately uh, to 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 take money out of a business as you go. Totally. Yeah. Agreed. Okay, let's go through two more, and then okay. I think we we've covered a bunch. Uh, this next one is from one of your blog posts. You wrote. In the past, I've written about how I used to be a hothead, reacting instantly to whatever I disagreed with. I didn't even let someone finish their thought before I started forming my rebuttal. The remainder of their statement was just filler before I could slam back. Two questions here. How did you gain awareness around this? And how were you able to shift from that way of being to, I think, what you described as a 90% less hot head way of being today. Uh, yeah, I still have some of those tendencies, but I was at a conference and someone was speaking, I think it was Richard Saul Warman or something, if I remember this post originally when I wrote this. And I went up to him afterwards to give him, he was listening, he was saying something and I was like disagreeing with it in my head as he was talking about it. And the only thing I wanted to do was, was tell him he was wrong. I just want yep. to tell him he was wrong. Like he was, a, he's a famous guy. I'm like, I'm, I'm this young punk, you're wrong, you know? And, and, and I remember going up to him and saying that, he's like, dude, slow down. Give it five minutes. This term, give it five minutes, basically meant like, you haven't even absorbed what I've said. Yeah, let it matter. You might have a point of view, but you have not even thought about it. You've heard it. You heard it. Went in your ears. Have you thought about it? You can't think that fast. And so he said, give it five minutes. And this this, this stuck with me, this idea of giving it five minutes. And it was probably boiling in me that I shouldn't be the way I was, but that kind <laughs> of was the moment where I'm like, this actually, what, what am I gaining? What am I gaining here by reacting so quickly? And I think this was like years and years ago, but now it's even worse for people because we're all expected, or I, well, social media, well, not even just social media, people expect everyone to have a formed opinion about everything the moment it happens. What do you think about the war in Ukraine? What do you think about the war in the Middle East? Like, you know, like, hang on, I don't even know about many of these, t- I don't even know these places, I've never been there, I don't know the people, I don't know the, the, the stories, um, you know, all the, all the things, they're all the things. And uh, it's like, you can just say, I, I actually don't know. I'm not sure where I come down on that. You know, I, I do have opinions about both of those, but like, you know, like it's it's taken a while to form some of them and think them through and the whole thing. So like, there's no reason to rush. It's not a race to know things. And it's not a race to tell other people how well you know things, how quickly you know things and how sure you are of something. That is a, a, an ego move. It's, it's, it's typically an insecurity and immaturity for sure. Yeah. And I think someone like really wise and much older than me had to kind of smack that into me. And we use that internally all the time. Um, like this idea, we, this ter- this phrase, give it five minutes. Like I'll make a change in the product and David won't like it. And I'm like, dude, give it five minutes. Or he'll do something, he'll ask me, give it five minutes. And so this this idea of giving it five minutes has, has come into stand for like, just give this a chance. Maybe it's five days, maybe it's three days, maybe it's till tomorrow. But like, give this a chance before you react. And this is especially important with anything that's unusual and new because our natural reaction is to push back against that. It's a threat in yeah. some way, right? So yeah, give it five minutes has become uh, this this you know, one of the one of the few bits of lingo we use in our company that really I think uh, has a lot of meaning. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it, it almost in some ways feels like the separation of basically um, gut not gut reaction but like instant emotion with actual processing. It allowed five minutes, or I think you've talked about using the word yet, like it allows for like this space for processing. Yeah. I'm not sure yet. Or again, there's, there's no rush here and there's no race. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 
getting back to like decision, like at some point you got to make a call, whatever. And it's probably a good idea to have a sense of where you stand on certain things that are important to you, material to what you're doing. Yep. But it does need to be instant and there's, there's no prize for it. And what's the point? Totally. So just, you know, I, I'm also a big fan of just sleeping on it. Like just let's, I don't know, let's see what tomorrow brings. Let's see what tomorrow yeah. morning brings, you know? Morning it's like brew. the Seinfeld rule. Yeah. 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 Seinfeld would uh, write down his jokes and, you know, uh, not pr- put judgment on them or t- solicit others' opinions for 24 hours to kind of let it sit. That's another thing, actually. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, I've always liked that because uh, one of the, th- the ways to wreck new product development is to get too many opinions too early. Everyone's got an opinion. And especially when something's new, they're going to tell you what they think. And then you end up having to sort of field and explain your reasons for doing what you're doing to too many people. And it slows things down. So we don't we don't do public betas. We don't we don't uh, pull people in. You know, we launch something. Sometimes we have a few people look at it first uh, right before we launch to make sure we didn't miss anything really material. But like um, we we finish the thing and launch the thing. And that's the thing. And we yep. can always change it afterwards, but there's not this like period where a million people are giving us their feedback so we can decide whether or not we made the right decisions. It's just, the, if you ever want to be uncertain about something, ask for one more opinion. Um, totally. And I've always tried to keep that in mind. I love that. Yep. Last one is yep. your view on hiring. You've This is um, a shorter section of a blog post you wrote around hiring, rehiring. It goes... I found that actually you hire someone at least twice. You hire someone initially, and then if all goes well, you hire them again 12 months later. That second hire is the crucial hire, even though it wouldn't be a stretch to say you continually hire someone throughout their career. Uh, Explain this concept. So at 37 Signals, we basically give people a year to um, find their way. Sometimes not a year, but usually a year to find their way. And then at that point, people have always you know, wondered like, what do you do? Do you do performance reviews? How do you evaluate somebody? And I just think the best way to evaluate someone is to, answer, is to ask that one question, which is like, knowing what you know now, would you hire this person again? That answers pretty much every question that's material at all. And that is like, yes, I would hire this person again. I'm excited to work with them again. I'm so glad we have them here. Or mm, I don't know. And if it's, I don't know, it's probably a no, ultimately. Sometimes it's it's a yes if there's a certain momentum that's gathering near the end of that period of time. But really that decision or that question, I think is the most clarifying question you can ask when it comes to hiring. Not like, again, what's their performance review or let's look back at old projects they did. That's all valuable. But you know, again, this comes back to judgment. In your head, you know, would you hire this person again? And it's it needs to be somebody who actually is in the position to hire that person. It can't be like totally. an HR person who doesn't know anything about what they did. So their their direct you know manager or whatever it might be. That's the question you ask. And I think this is frankly like this to me is kind of a a, a way to think about anything uh, and, and success in general. Like what is success? It's like the interest. You know, you like success is. Do you want to do it again? Would you want to do it again? And part of this idea, by the way, came from uh, Derek Sievers. You know Derek? Do you yeah. know that name? Uh, yeah, he wrote yeah. this book called uh, Hell Yeah or No. And it's kind of a, a really wonderful short book. Uh, and just, But just the fundamental idea behind it, I think, is really powerful. It's like you've got these things. You're making choices about who's here and what you're doing, what you're doing with your life and how you're spending your time. Sometimes you can't always be hell yeah. Uh, but if you can, it's either hell yeah or no. 
Like sometimes you just got to go to, to you know to the in laws to do the the holiday stuff and like you don't want to do it but you do it you know I, I like my in laws and everything but like yeah, no offense you know, to the in laws you just got to right no <laughs> sometimes you just got to do some of that stuff right but but when you're in a position to actually make a decision about something or someone or an idea it better be hell yeah or and don't if it's do not, it it's a no. Yeah, it's yeah. a no. So that's kind of what that's about. Love that. So much wisdom packed into 35 minutes from Jason Fried. Thanks so much for joining the podcast. This was really fun. Thanks again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Founders Journal. As I mentioned the last few episodes, I want to make 2024 the best year yet for this podcast and for your business. To do that, I want to hear from as many of you as possible. Shoot me an email to alex at morningbrew.com and share any recommendations you have ranging from specific topic ideas to changes or new things you want to see me try out with the show. As always, thank you so much for being a part of this community and I'll catch you next episode. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.